Thank you for your uh, patience. And um, I want to say that the title, Why Doctors Should Pray, does not mean that uh, other medical professionals or people in any kind of field relating to health shouldn't pray. And I'm not talking about your personal, our personal prayer lives. I'm talking about praying with the people and for the people that we're helping. So let me start by telling a story. <clears throat> Imagine, and I'm talking first to physicians, but again, this could apply to anybody who is called to intervene to help someone who is sick. But imagine you're called to the emergency room to see a 28-year-old patient who just vomited up a large amount of blood. The nurses call and say that this patient is in shock, a blood pressure of 60 over zero. This is the second bleed that this patient has had in a week, which is not good. Um, he has obvious signs of portal hypertension. Uh, he has a history of heavy drinking, so you can start to get the picture here. And uh, so you, you, you're pretty sure that he, he has esophageal varices or something similar to that. Um, <clears throat> you resuscitate the patient with uh, intravenous fluids and, uh, and uh, order four units of blood. And uh, gradually he starts to improve. His blood pressure comes up and uh, he stabilizes. And so at that point now you explain your diagnosis to the young man and to the family, which is very worried. They're there in the emergency room biting their nails. And uh, you explain that uh, uh, you're going to need to find out why he's bleeding. Uh, you've asked all the questions for the history and uh, now you're, you're kind of telling him and you're telling the family members your treatment plan. And, and you say, you know, we, we need to do an upper endoscopy, uh, see what the situation is. It could be a number of different things. Uh, it's possible that we could uh, do something if there's bleeding, esophageal varices. You explain what that is to the patients, and they get more and more anxious as you talk. And finally, you tell them, uh, in answer to their questions, that the situation is very serious. Now, they, they probably knew that before, but hearing it from you, uh, they really are anxious now, and they, <clears throat> they're worried now that their, their son and, or the patient himself is worried that maybe he might not get out of the hospital alive. And so uh, you reassure them as best as you can, um, and you say, uh, you know, you explain that this is probably going to cost about $100, the, the upper endoscopy, and they, that makes things a little worse for them. So, but finally they say, okay, doctor, do, do whatever you need to do, and, and they're very anxious. And so you write some orders, and you head back to the operating room to do another case while the nurses get ready and everybody in the endoscopy room gets ready for your case. You have just demonstrated to the patient and to the family that you are a well-trained doctor, perhaps uh, nicer than most. The patient's problem is serious, but there are some things you can do to help. Um, the patient and his family should have complete confidence in you and your treatment plan. And so far, God doesn't need anybody, uh, nobody needs God to do anything. Was that what you wanted to convey to the patient? I assume that if you're here at this conference, that is not what you wanted to convey to this patient. And so, and so let's, let's try that again, okay? Let's try it a little bit different way. 
You explain to the young man and his family that he has a very serious problem caused by years of drinking and he could bleed at any time, but the next time could be fatal. Same thing you started with, perhaps with the other patient. If he is willing, you can do endoscopy and maybe sclerotherapy to stop the bleeding. Um, but before you do that, you would like to pray for the patient and ask God to help. And the family says, oh, oh yes, please, doctor. And I've, I've had this happen even with Muslim patients. And so um, you put your hand on the patient's shoulder and, and you pray uh, something like this. You say, Lord Jesus, thank you for keeping this young man alive and bringing him to our hospital. Um, we need wisdom, Lord. Help us, give us wisdom to understand what his problem is, how we can best help him, protect him now. Uh, and uh, Lord, just, just comfort this family, calm them, help them to understand that you love them, you love this man, you want, you want to help him. And help him, help him to understand, while, and help all of them to understand while they're here at the hospital, how much you love them, how much you love this young man, that you died to save, uh, you, you died on a cross to, to pay for their sins. Now, give them peace and protect him against any harmful spirits that might want to, uh, might be involved here. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, God's only son. And you can get a lot of different reactions from that, but generally the patients are kind of surprised. And um, what, what changed? What is so different? Well, you demonstrated that you are a well-trained doctor who cares about your patient and relies on God to help you. The patient's problem is serious, but you have a plan to help him, and you are asking God to help too. The patient sees that you are concerned about his spiritual state. The patient and his family can begin to hope that God, maybe you know, you, you know God well enough, and well, they hadn't really thought you could get God to help you, but maybe he'll help them. And this is the beginning of belief in God. And finally, they see that you know God personally, at least you appear to, and that you're willing to talk to him at any time on their loved one's behalf and that you have confidence in him. Now, that, what you just did added three minutes to your consultation. Three minutes. A nurse can do that. A physical therapist can do that. Somebody counseling a patient can do that. Never, never underestimate what God might do for your patients. This man has portal hypertension. In a normal world, he'll be dead in a month or two months because he's probably going to keep on drinking. But that is if you are totally underestimating what God can do in this situation. And I've seen God intervene again and again as people take that first little step of faith. And then as God helps the physician and helps us with everything that we do. Things that shouldn't work as well as they do work very well. I have seen many instances where I was taking on a very difficult surgical case. It, sh it, was a, it would have been a very difficult operation. The success rate is not that great even in the United States and those patients sail through it. God helps them. Do we believe that Jesus can really heal Jesus asked his, the people, uh, these men that uh, wanted him, asked him to, to heal them uh, and give them sight. He said, do you believe that I can make you see? And they said, yes, Lord, we do. And then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. 
Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Can Jesus heal my patients? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who sees finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. Now that is a very strong statement for the Christian. The Christian healthcare worker, the Christian physician, we can believe in this statement if we believe in Christ. Do we really believe this? Oswald Chambers said about these, these verses, isn't that wonderful? It's so wonderful that I do not suppose more than half of us really believe it. That's been my experience for myself, and I've seen it in other Christians. You know the story of blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, my rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. Maybe you're thinking, well, you know, that's Jesus. We, we can't do that. I wish I could. I, I tell you, I wish that every time I prayed for a patient, they were instantly healed. I didn't, wouldn't have to touch them with a scalpel. I wouldn't have to give them any medications. But God doesn't always work that way when he heals. I believe he always works when we pray. Hebrews 11:6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. That means that applies to physicians. That applies to healthcare workers. That applies, I believe, even to people who are working in development projects. Faith is still important to God in the way that we serve God. It has a lot to do with modern medicine. Now, I know that this is... Um, a big surprise to, to many of us, to many lay people, but doctors actually do make mistakes. How many of you have, have personally been involved in a mistake? Yeah, me too. Um, I don't like to talk about them, and uh, we don't advertise them, but I've seen terrible mistakes made by physicians. You know that even in the United States where they have all kinds of, of safeguards to, keep, to protect patients, um, from being operated on the wrong side, there's still amputations happening every year for the wrong leg. Operations on the wrong eye. I mean, just horrible accidents. And, and there are all these rules, there are all these checklists, but somewhere along the way, somebody took for granted that the other person had checked and everybody's sure that they know what's going on. The operation goes forward. A horrible mistake is made. I've seen God intervene to keep us from making terrible mistakes. That's why I pray before every operation. I make sure that I, that I pray before the patient is put to sleep. I pray in, in the patient's own language, and I pray in a way that he can hear what we're asking God to do. And I have seen God intervene and guide my own practice. Now, is this scientific? Well, it, it could be scientific. You could have a wonderful uh, research project where you had two control groups. You had a control group and you had another group. And the control group, uh, nobody prays for them. And the other group, we pray for them. Now, which group would you like to be in? Would raise your hand if you would like to be in the control group where nobody prays for you. Not very many. And I even wonder in my heart, is that ethical? Would this be an ethical study? I would have a hard time with it but I suppose it could be done. 
Jesus challenged people to test their healing. In Mark chapter 2, verse 9, he said to the man that was lowered down through the roof, um, he said to him finally at the end of the discussion that he had with the Pharisees, take up your bed and walk. Now, what do you think would have happened if that young man had said, uh, but Jesus, I, I'm paralyzed. I can't walk. He had to try. He had to make the effort. And as he did, he was able to walk. And you've heard stories like that even of modern day healings. I wish that every time I said to somebody uh, and I prayed for somebody that I could say, take up your bed and walk, and he would walk. I, I confess that uh, it's rare that I've done something like that. And I've never seen it happen, but I have seen God heal, and I'll share one of those stories. Does God heal with doctors? Absolutely, God heals. But he does not heal if we do not ask. He doesn't heal every time instantaneously, instantaneously when we ask him to heal our patients. He may work in other ways, but if we don't ask, he will not help. If we don't ask, he will not help. And that is why prayer, that is why doctors and nurses and those intervening in health need to pray for their patient, patients. God wants to partner with us. He does not want to heal sick people without us. He wants to partner with us. Um, and I've already mentioned, if we don't ask, that we shouldn't expect God to help. We have to help our patient, patients believe in God. And we do that, not just by talking to them about how wonderful God is, but by praying to them, with them, praying for them. I had a patient um, about maybe 15 years ago. <clears throat> this mother came to me, and um, this, this boy had, a young boy about uh, eight years old. Um, he had, you could see his abdomen was distended, examined him. There, you could feel tumors in there. He had lymph nodes everywhere. And uh, so we, we took a biopsy and uh, we did an ultrasound. He had tumors in his liver, he had tumors in his spleen, and the biopsy showed us that he had a serious lymphoma. It was not Burkitt's lymphoma. It was not one that we could really treat. And uh, so I, I, when I gave the mother this information in our clinic in the office, I said, I gave her the bad news and she began to cry. And, and uh, I said to her, um, you know, I can send you for chemotherapy to the capital city. I have some contacts there. Unfortunately, they're going to charge, but, you know, that, that it would help your son maybe. And she said, Doctor, I don't have any money to go to this. I can't even pay to get to the city. And then for all this other treatment, I don't know anybody there. We would, I don't know where we would stay. I'm, I'm just going to take him home to die. I said, well, there's one other thing let me tell you about. I said... And this woman, she had, uh, um, our chaplains had talked to her about the Lord and she had heard the gospel. She had decided, you know, she wasn't ready to do that, believe in this Jesus. But I said to her, could I just tell you this? Jesus is able to heal. And I said, I'm willing to pray for your son, but you have to believe that Jesus is willing to heal your son. Do you believe, you heard about Jesus earlier today, do you believe that Jesus can heal your son? And she kind of took a deep breath and she said, yes. I said, do you want me to pray um, for your son? She said, yes. And so then I took a deep breath because I thought, oh boy, I you know, hate to disappoint people. And so I put my hand on this little boy and I said, Lord Jesus, a very simple prayer. I said, Lord Jesus, you see that we cannot do anything to save this boy's life, but you can. And I ask you, in the name of Jesus, to heal him.
And uh, nothing instantaneous happened. Then I said, and so I said to the mother, listen, mother, I said, I want you to, when you take him home, you pray every day. You pray every day that God would heal your son. And then I said, I want to see you back here in a month. She said, okay. Off they went. He didn't come back a month later. Two months went by. Four months went by. I figured he died. And I felt badly, but I just committed this woman to the Lord. Six months later, I was unlocking my office door, going to go into clinic, all kinds of patients waiting to see me. And this woman came up kind of on my right, and she said, Doctor, I need to see you. I said, Ma'am, I said, I have to see patients who have appointments. I'm sorry, I can't see you. If it's emergency, go to the emergency room. I didn't even look at her. She said, Doctor, oh, it's really important. I said, I'm sure it is, ma'am, but please go to the emergency room. No, Doctor, you don't understand. This is my son. And I kind of saw out of the corner of my eye this boy, and I turned and looked at him. Here was this boy that I had prayed for, and he was an inch and a half taller. So I took him into the clinic. I examined him. Everything was gone. He's still alive today. God is able to heal, but he does it his way. And we have to ask. We have to ask. I want to take one other area because, you know, one of the biggest differences between what we do as humanitarian, sort of this humanitarian thing they call, but what we do out of compassion it, what is really different is that we don't just come at it with human ability, human knowledge, human skills. We come with power. God's power. That's the big difference. But if we don't appropriate that power, we're just like everybody else. And one of the problems that we run into is demon possessions. I'm glad uh, last night our brother um, Muriri, Muriri, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, I talked about this. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. There are psychiatric diseases and there are demonic diseases. And Christian doctors who believe the scriptures can learn to distinguish between them. Now, I didn't know any of this when I finished medical school. I didn't learn any of this in residency. I learned this in my clinic. And I'm sure that you have seen these things. And over time, I learned to distinguish between somewhat to these things. And it takes spiritual discernment, of, uh, of course. You know the story of the man from Gerasim. Uh, this is one of the most dramatic uh, deliverances. Uh, and this is found in, in Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man possessed by demons came out to meet him. He was homeless, he was naked, he lived in a cemetery outside of town. The spirit had often taken hold of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. When he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of him. And the man screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. And Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. 
The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs, so Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the entire herd and plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled into the nearby town and the surrounding countryside to see what had happened. A, uh, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. And this is very important. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Some of you have seen this happen. I've seen it happen. This is not something that's just made up. And uh, I know that uh, even many Christian physicians feel that uh, in the, the day of Jesus, you know, they didn't really understand about psychiatric illness. They didn't know about bipolar disease. They didn't know about all the diseases uh, that we know about. And, and so they just called everything demons. So how is it that Jesus, who's God's son, who is involved in creation, he is one with the Father, can't tell the difference between psychiatric disease and demons. We're, I'm supposed to believe that? I don't believe it. Of course he knew the difference. Doctors who want to help these patients, patients who are spiritually oppressed, a different term, but and I think perhaps a closer, better translation, must first of all believe that what the Bible says about this condition where the spiritual world gains control over the will and over the body of another person is true. They must ask God for discernment. If we want to understand this, we need to ask God's discernment. When we're dealing with patients who are behaving strangely, whose symptoms don't really fit with any of the categories that, that we have studied in psychiatry, they, they fit with demonic disease. They're not really convulsions, epileptic convulsions. There's something very different with them. There's this history of the spiritual history. I'm not going to go into all of that. But that's when we need to work with godly pastors who follow the teachings and example of Jesus when they deliver people from demonic power. And there are pastors who do not follow the model of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus. And I'll give you a reference at the end. So, but here again, without prayer, we cannot have discernment. And you know... I've seen people who have been on medications for demonic possession for years. They are never cured. But one day, a pastor or one of our chaplains sits down with them and starts asking questions. And he said, let me just pray with you. You, you just don't answer. I want you to close your eyes. Don't answer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge any spirits that are there. And, and see if they're there. And he does this, and all of a sudden, people start freaking out. And in the name of Jesus, he casts out those demons, and that person comes out of there completely delivered and normal. I have seen it again and again, and so have many of you. We are the ones who first have contact with these people. Let's help them. Let's have compassion on them and help them, even if the medical community makes fun of us. This is not a ministry for amateurs. I would encourage you to study what the Bible says about it. Talk to God when you encounter people that you think might be under the influence of demons. Don't be in a hurry uh, to help to deliver someone without help. 
develop a ministry team for these patients. One patient could exhaust you if you don't know what you're doing. And, uh, and then find out more. There's a, a number, there's a very good book called uh, Victory Over Darkness by Dr. Neil Anderson. You can get it on, if you look on Amazon, you can find it uh, in other places as well. So don't forget that if we are um, serving God in any kind of a ministry for the sick, don't forget spiritual oppression. God has given us the tools to discern it and to treat it. Don't forget also the best part about caring for the sick in the name of Jesus. Jesus is not dead. Um, this is just kind of a humorous picture. Uh, sitting, There's a park bench in, uh, in Florida, in, in Tampa, Florida, and there's this statue of a guy sitting there, and uh, he's quite unreal. He's not alive at all. But the greatest news is the God we serve is not dead. He is alive. He is with us. He is in us. And, and really, the greatest news that we have as physicians is not that I, have, I am board certified in surgery and I'm your doctor. That is not the greatest news that we have for our patients. The greatest news for our patients is not that I can fix your hernia. I can get you under your diabetes under control. That is not the greatest news that we have to tell them. The greatest news is that Jesus saves. Jesus saves lives. God has not called us just to heal people through medicine and prayer and then leave them in their sin, but to tell them about Jesus. Praying for your patients will often open the door to telling them about Jesus and his love. And without the gospel, our healing is only temporary. We do not save lives. We prolong lives. Only Jesus saves lives. And as you know, everyone in this planet is going to die no matter how good the doctor is. I don't care how many, how many degrees you have, you cannot keep your patient alive forever. So don't leave Jesus outside the ward. He's the greatest resource you will have. Now this, I, I, this is not easy to do for, for us who are trained in secular medical schools, trained in secular specialty programs, trained in secular nursing schools. We're not trained after we talk to a patient and tell them what our plan is for them and what we think the problem is. We're not trained to stop and say, sister, can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? It's very hard to learn as a discipline, but I wanna tell you that if you, start, if you will start doing it, that God will bless you and your patients will too. So just in summary, and then I wanna leave time for a discussion when you, when you don't pray with your patients, you're communicating something to them. You're communicating that I'm it. You know, you can have confidence in me, but when you do pray, it's totally different. You're communicating that you are working with God and that they don't just have to hope in you. They can hope in someone who has much greater power. So when you pray, you bring God into your patient's life. Never underestimate what God can do for your patient. Your faith can produce faith in others. Faith heals. Without it, you cannot please God. God loves to partner with faith-filled doctors, even to cure demonic disease. And don't forget the best part. Jesus doesn't just heal. He saves. And when he saves, it's forever. So I want to just uh, leave it open now for some questions and um, discussion. One thing I would say, uh, I have written all this stuff down in much greater detail in a book called 
Christian mercy, compassion, proclamation, and power. If you Google, if you go on Amazon.com and look for Christian mercy, it's there. And uh, um, I, the money from this book I use to publish more. That's all. I, I'm not getting rich on this book. But um, it does have this, and I think it might be a resource that perhaps you would find useful.